Hi there. We're... Got him. They've got him. Hot on the trail of Trump going to jail. Kimberly Guilfoyle, Worst Nightmare Exposed, a new release deposition testimony Streaming just, re- just posted a few minutes ago. Because it helps track down and cancel I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. This Kimberly Guilfoyle deposition is Gargoyle. just devastating and humiliating. Tell us about it. Potentially talk about the criminal implications. She was clearly evasive and lying to the January 6th committee questioner, but it's just humiliating and embarrassing. Kimberly Guilfoyle, before stepping into MAGA world, was a respected prosecutor before pivoting to Fox and all of this. And so to just see this weird bizarreness is frankly really sad. But let's just explore what Kimberly Guilfoyle said in her deposition before the January 6th committee. If we turn to page 271 and 272, she talks about the speech that she gave uh, at the Ellipse on January 6th. And what she says at line 17, she goes, yeah, there's some time that passes because that's how it always does. The president likes there always to be music. He has a soundtrack that he plays of his pre-approved song that he plays at every rally every once in a while to make changes to it, etc. And he likes to do that, build momentum. Then he gets up and does his thing. And that's just how it is. So then the question is, I'm just trying to figure out the timeline. At this point, when you finish your speech, you're hanging out in the tent, right? Answer, freezing and dying, hoping he comes. Question, I think this is when I believe the video happens that Don from Don Jr. is filming. Is that right? Answer, yes, because they're playing the music, right? Which is the president's approved soundtrack of songs. And one of them that plays at all his rallies besides YMCA is Gloria. I don't know what the name of the song is. And they go on. I think it's YMCA by the village people. And then she goes, have you watched any Trump rallies? And then the person goes, no, it's actually a song I believe called Gloria. I believe the name of the song is called Gloria. Oh, yes, that is the song. The 80s pop song thing, yes, but also plays YMCA. And then she goes on to say, it's very distinct soundtrack that he, I believe he has a heavy hand in. So Miss Kilfoyle, exactly. Based on what we understood, is this correct? And so this is Kimberly Gilfoyle's response to the January 6th committee lawyer asking her these questions. He goes, she goes, so they played that and I am a child of the 80s. And so I like that. And Don's like, princess, I think he said, princess, you know, show us your dance moves. And I'm a good dancer. This is what Kimberly Guilfoyle is doing on January 6th, leading up to the insurrection. And she's talking to the January 6th committee about what a good dancer she is. 
As we go through other portions of the deposition testimony, she really tries to evade how important it was for her to get paid the approximately $60,000. But the January 6th committee lawyer really kind of drills down on the fact that she was paid this money. Not only was she paid this money, but she specifically asked for this money. And in fact, she said... Um, no matter what, whether she speaks or not, she wanted to get paid the $60,000 from Turning Point, which is Charlie Kirk's organization, the MAGA extremist who invoked the Fifth Amendment against self-incrimination to every question that uh, he was asked. So as we go to page 36 and we go to line 18, the questioner starts talking about these speaking fees and it says, the lawyer goes, okay, so yes, there are speaking fees at January 6th. And then Kimberly Guilfoyle goes, I cannot say that there are speaking fees for January 6th because we also spoke in December at a Turning Point Action, Turning Point USA event, Student Action Committee. Question, just give me a moment. We have a copy of the invoice that was created, yes. And to be clear, I did not create the invoice. And then they go down as we we look down, we can go to page 38 and the questioner at the bottom of page 37 the lawyer says okay and we'll talk about this but while we have the exhibit up if you can look at the middle of the email you respond you say quote so actually we're going ahead and we're going to invoice sixty thousand dollars to true media just by the way true media is kimberly guilfoyle's llc it's her pass-through llc And in this same email, she writes, I talked to Don for Kimberly Guilfoyle, Donald Trump Jr. for Wednesday, January 6th, and I will just 1099 him and I'll wire money. So it's my true media LLC and Chase bank account number and routing. And Rebecca, you have it. Thank you so much. Question. So I just want to ask pieces about that with regards to where you wrote, I talked to Don. I'm assuming that's Don Jr. And the questioner goes on to say, and for Wednesday, January 6th. So Kimberly Guilfoyle, you were specifically identifying that this payment was for January 6th. Answer. That's what it says here. Yes, because Kimberly Guilfoyle was trying to uh, avoid saying that it was for January 6th. And so eventually she had to be reflective of what the document actually said. One of the other things that she acted like in her deposition is that she didn't know what was going on or that she had no involvement in anything. And yet there's messages saying KG, which is her initials, you know, wants to make sure that Steve Bannon is involved in these discussions. And when she's confronted with that, she goes, I can't recall. I don't know. So if we go to page 233 and we go to line 21 in the deposition, the question is, do you remember having any discussions with uh, Trump or any of the family members regarding the legal options available on January 6th? Answer, no, because that wasn't something that I would have gone over or discussed because I actually didn't understand it myself, she says. Then she goes on to stay um, as we go to page uh, 234. She goes, yeah, information out there like that, but I don't know what it is. The president felt that the election was rigged and stolen and that he wanted all legal and lawful votes to be counted and for unlawful votes not to be counted. So that's where his head was in the general election. Question, do you remember proposing to anyone who would have been, would have been around mid 
December 2020 that Steve Bannon and the president should meet to talk because Mr. Bannon had information regarding next steps to stop the steal? Answer from Kimberly Gilfoyle. I don't recall anything about Stop the Steal. And the questioner pulls out an Exhibit 44, which is a text message from John McEntee, um, who's listed as Johnny Mac and someone um, else in the administration or who was an advisor. And it says, KG, referring to Kimberly Gilfoyle, wants Steve and POTUS to talk. Steve has three next steps that he can take to stop the steal. Also, says he needs to meet with Navarro, who has gone over numbers. Steve would be free to talk with him, of course. Thoughts? And McEntee says, I will relay to the boss what's the best number for Steve if he decides to call. And then I understand that's probably the name that Miss Preet gave for Mr. Bannon. And then the response by Kimberly Gilfoyle is, I have no recollection of this whatsoever. And if you'll recall from the deposition of Cassidy Hutchinson, Cassidy Hutchinson said, that what the Trump lawyers were telling them to just say is we have no recollection to just basically deny, deny, deny and say that we have uh, no recollection at all. Then we go to just page um, 264 of the deposition. And in 264, line 12, we have Kimberly Guilfoyle sharing her views of the election. And she goes, yeah, I don't know to challenge it forever, people. I mean, you know, you look at the facts, you look at evidence. You would want to make sure the election was, you know, fair and that there were legal ballots were cast. And I think it was concerning. And it still is concerning that President Trump, you know, received 13 million more votes in the 2020 election than he did in 2016. So that would make him the first, you know, American president to lose an election, receiving more votes than he did in his first term. And having been traveling across the country with him at all these rallies, all of these stops, I mean, we did thousands and seeing the enthusiasm and just the lines all the way out down the streets, down freeways, people waiting days ahead of time. It was unbelievable the amount of enthusiasm enthusiasm, more so than, you know, we even saw in 2016 and the people and the support he had. So it just did not make a lot of sense to see that Joe Biden, who could barely like hardly any people to, could barely get like hardly any people to come to any of his events, all of a sudden turned out all of these votes. So that's her proposition to the January 6th committee. So it just did not make a lot of sense to see that Joe Biden, who could barely get like hardly any people to come to any of his events, all of a sudden turned out all of these votes. That's on page 264 and 265. And then you go to page 236, and, you know, someone, again, she's a lawyer, she's in the know, and just to see her complete lack of transparency with the January 6th committee, um, one of the things that uh, is asked is, question, okay, did you ever have any discussion with people who were alternate electors, either on or before January 6th? Her response was, what's an alternate elector? Question, well, have you heard the term before? Answer, alternate elector? Question, yeah. Answer, yeah, I've heard of it, but I really don't know what it is. Question, do you have a general understanding of what people mean when they say that or what they're referencing? No, not really, I don't. And then the, then the questioner goes on to explain. But you see here again just a combination of the kind of lies, the weirdness, 
living in this MAGO echo chamber. I mean, they're talking during an insurrection about YMCA, and she's so proud that she's a good dancer, and the fact that Biden's rallies were not as big as Trump rallies because people who voted for Biden weren't part of a cult, that that was the basis for her to say all of these things. Um, the fact that there's communications with her or about her referencing Steve Bannon, she denies them and says she doesn't recall. And even when it comes to the you know fee itself, she acts like uh, you know, it wasn't for January 6th, so the questioner has to then show her, though this specifically says January 6th, and she goes, well, I guess that's what it says. But that's what we're dealing with here, folks. And this is what MAGA extremism is. Weird liars, you know, just desperate. Very, very, very sad to see this, you know, and, um, you know, but it is what it is. We'll call it out here on the Midas Touch Network. And she is an extremist, uh, liar, and traitor to this country. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Hit the subscribe button. We're on our way to 1 million subscribers. Thanks to your support. And in addition to hitting the subscribe button, Check us out at patreon.com slash touch, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash touch. We have lots of exclusive content there. Most importantly, help grow this independent platform. Until next time, I'm Matt Mizellis. Midas Touch is unapologetically pro-democracy. And look, we know you are too. So please, make sure you check out our best-selling shirt and our best-selling gear, the unapologetic... Right, let's see what else. Hmm. provoking concerns. Do you think the world will end due to the fulfillment of predictions in the book of Revelation? Is there any other evidence in warm water before bed fixes tooth and gum problems overnight? Cosmic secret, I've already covered that. I'm finally proven guilty. I think I already watched this. Live, Jerusalem's ancient apocalypse attack. Her name is Randall Carson. We are live. Kyle says everything is not fine, but we are live, so that's good. We're all alive. We are. Welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, Cosmographia live episode. Live, you mean live? Uh oh, twentieth live episode. Back, we are back. Seems like an eternity. Yeah, we were in the Scablands. We're in Egypt. So it's been a long time. Florida, Tennessee, Texas. uh, Where else? I know there's been a few other places. No fighting, okay?
just just phenomenal reviewing those things and, and seeing what was on the, the ceiling there and, and trying to absorb some of those stories like you're saying we don't we don't know exactly what it's saying but just you know letting the imagination run um, just beautiful and intricate and colorful and amazing and uh, you know in, in a lot of ways grateful that it still exists mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know that was that was part of the problem I had the first first week it's like it hurts that so many places were so damaged yeah just so much destruction and, and just in horrible conditions and uh you know just just i guess so many stones hauled away to to be built in other other locations yeah. but uh yeah that was uh that was something that took me a while to, to you know accept that they were just in such horrible condition and that yeah you know, people people would get in there and destroy that stuff yeah, people, yeah, um, most of that basement that you saw was deliberate. So, I mean, you know, it's basically, you know, 1,700 years ago, 1,800 years ago, when a lot of that took place. So they had cancel culture back then. And that's exactly what that is. It's that same mindset that's been flagging the forward progress and momentum of the human species on this planet for thousands of years and now we have a seeing a resurgence of it in our own time and uh as we well know we've seen what happened lately which we are going to talk about a little bit tonight um not necessarily right off the bat right out of the gate but um people probably know i'm referring to the netflix series oh yeah and uh what what's gone down there with the mainstream, the mainstream reaction to it, which is a lesson. There's a there are lessons, multiple lessons in there. I think for all of us to learn who who are uh, really trying to get to the truth of our own history. Because I think what we see there is concerted efforts to actually uh, obscure the truth of our history. And if that's the case, then it raises the question of why, because clearly. I think we can say that what's driving the reaction on a lot of these people is not science. Because you can read through it, we can look at a few examples. It's not science because there's no science-based arguments in any of this past on Graham or the Netflix series. What's driving it is politics. And then that raises the question of why has this been so politicized? What we're seeing is the wokeness, the cancel culture wokeness infecting the halls of academia. And we've already seen that with regards to even the harder science. We've seen it with respect to the whole climate change issue. We've seen it with respect to the pandemic issue. We've seen it with respect to a lot of other things. And we're going to see it with respect to this as well, because I think that the, it's, it's talking to us loud and clear that there are factions that want to control the narrative, and they feel like if they lose their grasp on any one part of it, the whole rest of it's going to collapse. That's very telling too that the responses started even before the show was uh, the series was released. Yeah, yeah. So they exactly. were already taking a stance without even knowing what was going to be covered in the, in the series. There, ancient apocalypse. Well, when you read some of these criticisms, they're actually bragging. Well, I watched three minutes of it, and that's all I needed to watch. You know, they're bragging about it. So. So that's, you know, it, it, to me it raises some serious questions, because I expected that there would be some some criticism and response to it, but 
when I saw the extent of it um, and read, I, I went ahead and read seven or eight different attacks on who all I read, uh, interviews and things. And they're basically, like I said earlier, leading up to the show. <clears throat> I think they're all reading from the same script, or at least the same talking point. And of course, to say that, then you're going to be guilty to what they've tried to do with the preamp, being able to legitimately say that by proclaiming that anyone who questions the, 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 the dominant narrative of our history is a conspiracy theorist. How many times did you guys see that in some of the, the critiques, if you read them, over and over again? Conspiracy theorists. It's only conspiracy theorists who are going to believe Graham Hancock. Right. So it raises questions. Why? Why this vociferous attack? Well, they've been making conspiracy theories out of a lot of people for a long oh, yeah. time. Yeah. Well, it's like climate denier. They just throw a label on you, and then other people that are just fringe paying attention will say, oh, well, that's what box I can put them in, so I can ignore that, too. That's the conspiracy theory. I don't have to that. Yep. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, anyways, uh, I think that it would be... Uh, the prudent thing to do to at least come to Graham's defense because the man has put himself out there on the tip of the sword and he's bearing the brunt of this and I think it would be it would be a, a good thing to do to deflect a little bit of that away from him and defend him against these you know accusations of being a racist of a white supremacist etc. I mean that to me is pretty damn sleazy, dirty, and below the belt. But what it does show, if you read through in their comments, they don't have any substance. There's nothing there. There's no rebuttal. There's no refutation of, of anything. There's no counter-argument. No, it's just mere campaign, through and through. Every critical fallacy in the book is in those responses to Grant. So it's yeah. actually a very instructive thing to go through some of that and look for, it's like looking for, uh, where's Waldo? Instead of Waldo, where's the Recording actual... Recording in progress. That's right. Where, where's the hey, actual man. science that's, uh, Come on, maybe. you know, in any of the responses? Come on in. It ain't there. Come so, on in, cuties. But, Come on, maybe. Come on, cuties. Hey, get me fired. You're getting me fired up now, Rob. Okay. I'm just letting you roll with it, man. Come here. Go. Yeah. <laughs> it's annoying to me that they claim that he is stealing the heritage from people by suggesting that they were given knowledge and information. When, in a lot of cases, their own history, in their own yes. myths, and in their own stories, they're saying that. So it's the yep. opposite. It's like these academics are disregarding their myths and their history as like a bunch of bullshit. That's feeling their history. And Graham mm -hmm. is trying to say, like, hey, they're telling us in their own yeah. stories that this is what happened. So yeah. It's just, so he's he's being uh, he's being more true to their you know to their heritage. That's the thing. If you had any of these people, actually, it, it's just like you know who one of those lead archaeologists. I think we agreed not to even mention his name. Yeah. Who actually responded to the 
challenge to debate Graham came up with some lame excuse. He won't do it. <clears throat> and it's some lame excuse like, hey, I'm a professional and I would be lowering myself if I sure. you know, were actually going to debate an idea about prehistory. So, but what does he really do? No, really, all he's doing is showing he, he doesn't have anything. He knows he will come out looking like a fool. And he would. Because he doesn't have anything. I read that entire interview that he did, and there was nothing there. Nothing. I mean, I could actually be supposed to have some of it right here. But if he had something, it would have been there. It wasn't there. You know, so... That's right. Um, and the way... The, 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 the backhanded way they go about it... Um, it, 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 it's instructive. It's instructive because you can see their, the tactics that they employ. But I personally think it's going to backfire on them. Um, they're feeling a sense of fear and desperation because it became the most popular Netflix in the uh, docu-series in the world for a few days. Right? So they were they were confident in their position, though, right? Wouldn't you think somebody would just take that on, take that role, or they'd have a little discussion amongst themselves? Okay, well, let's let's bury this guy. We've we've got all the evidence. Let's let's take this challenge on, and you know, put him away. But but they won't do it. They won't show up. That's right. They, they don't have that. So like, it's more likely they're going to get slammed. Here is the title of. The Guardian. You guys are familiar with The Guardian. Yeah. yeah. Uber, left wing. Oh, right. Here's the title. The Ancient Absurdities of Ancient Apocalypse. A Netflix show for, and then it has in the stair quotes, free thinkers promotes a whole lot of bunk. It's hugely popular. Now you think, okay, let's see what specifically is the bunk. You go through the interview, and like I said, there is nothing there. And I find it interesting that not only this one here, but that seems to be a regular occurrence throughout these attacks, to use the term free thinkers in quotes. You know, scare quotes, that's where you're putting the quotes in because what you're saying is that the reality of the use of this word or these, this phrase is the exact opposite of how it's being used. Um, so that's what they do. They put it in those ter in those quotes. There's a, a term for that. It's seriously. And the idea is that they're saying, well, people who listen to them might think they're free thinkers, but they're really not free thinkers. Of course, I don't know if who, what constitutes a free thinker in the, in the minds of these people. Um, and then, uh, so here's, here's one of the questions. What can you say about the difference between the way academic archaeology approaches evidence and how Graham Hancock does? Here's the response. Graham Hancock is not and does not want to be seen as a scientist or a historian. He is coming from a metaphysical place. He's inspired by Western esoterica. Okay, now I don't know if this distinguished and learned gentleman who's making this comment has any idea of what Western esoterica actually is, and the fact that it really is, in fact, a rich resource of bona fide information, because the simple fact of our own history is, is very 
much of our, the facts and details of our history had to necessarily be esoterica because there were times you could be burned at the stake, tortured to death, banished or whatever for the crime, being guilty of the crime of heresy. Like heresy is thinking and saying things that are not approved by the authorities. Yes, Tom. You have a thought. Oh, I said it's kind of like today a little bit. Exactly. So, right there, you can see he's dismissing the idea of esoteric. Right? Graham as he says, he's inspired by Western esoteric. For him, the significance of a lot of this information is sort of intuitive as in, and is confirmed to him through his personal revelatory experience. Fair enough. But I would say that all science starts with intuition. Am I right? Yeah, I was in doubt. Then he goes on to say, if it seems like in watching the show his perspective has been influenced by drugs, it's because it has. Well, there we go. Uh, no honest appraisal of the question Graham raises need ensue. After all, we I think that's the core of the resistance right there. Yeah. Is it? So, that's, you think that's what it is, really? I, I don't think that's I think it's being thrown out there just as, as another effort to discredit him uh, yes. personally. And by discrediting him personally, you discredit the, 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 the questions he's raised. Yeah. Because that's really all he's doing is raising questions. He's proposing ideas, but you'll know if you listen to his actual, uh, his, his narrative that he, he'll use the words, perhaps this happened. Perhaps there was. We have to look at the big picture and realize that there are many missing pieces to the puzzle within the mm. mainstream narrative. So then, here's another question asked by the same dependably biased interviewer. In reading up on him, I saw that Hancock was once a bit more explicit about the idea that these figures who supposedly spread across the world to disseminate their ideas as their own civilization was dying were white. Huh. In this series, that's not part of things. Has he adjusted the way he presents this? So here's, here's the response from the distinguished professor. If you research Graham Hancock and look at his books over time, as I have, Apparently, he never looked at the, the references or bibliography in the back of the book. I'm guessing that he says he looked at the books over time. I'm looking at guessing that maybe he went to a bookstore and saw a book on the shelf by Graham Hancock and looked at it momentarily. <clears throat> okay. And look at his books over time, as I have. One of the things that you discover about him is that he self-edits. He doesn't use the word Atlantis now, except very sparingly, because, of course, all you have to do in the eyes of the mainstream academics is even mention the word Atlantis in any kind of context other than rote dismissal, and you're immediately a pseudoscientist, a fringe theorist, all the names that go along with it. Okay, he doesn't use the word Atlantis now, except very sparingly. He has also edited himself since 1995 when, in Fingerprints of the Gods, he came out and said, 
that it was an ancient white civilization. He didn't actually say that. What he did do, though, was report that there were a lot of indigenous peoples whose own stories would suggest that they had interaction with white people at some point, Caucasian people. But now, never mind the fact that their own tradition suggests that. If you even bring that up, look what's happened to Grant, the label that had been flung at him. Um, so he no longer he no longer says the many quote the white part in the series. But if you pay careful attention, he does talk about in quote heavily bearded Quetzalcoatl, who arrives according to myth to give the gift of knowledge. But he doesn't mention the other part of the story, which all of us know about, which is that this visitor supposedly had white skin. So, uh, I had a comment about that. Graham is guilty of self-editing. That's a charge placed against him. As if every single author, researcher, scientist, and scholar doesn't do exactly the same thing as time passes and they learn more and gain greater insight into the subject matter of their research. Am I right? But if Graham does oh, now this is something that can be used against him. As assume, assuming, you know, that he has learned something in his research since 1995 and amended his perspective and his viewpoint. But if he does that and expresses it, well, now that's something that can be used to undermine his credibility. So then, um, notice how he says also the fact that, quote, all of us know about visitors to Central and South America having white skin and beards. It's a deceitful admission by this guy, right? Because his sole purpose is to undermine Graham's reputation by tarring him as a racist, while not overtly acknowledging the traditions of the indigenous peoples themselves. You notice how he sidestepped that. He didn't say anywhere that this was the people, the, like you just said before we before we went live, Russ, it's, it, it was the indigenous people's own tradition yes. that suggested this. Right. Um, uh, yeah, so the, I mean, the question we've always, Kyle and I have asked many times on our show is, you know, is when we're talking about this kind of stuff is because we've been accused of the same thing not obviously not in anywhere the same level as Graham is being attacked for an apocalypse but we've been accused before by people of, of some kind of racism because we're stealing heritage from people by suggesting there may be uh, an injection of technology or you know a different culture or maybe a much older one never discussing skin color at all but the point is right. it seems like the the to dismiss the, the the local legends and myths, the mythology and the, and the legends of the of the people there, as being just you know it's not true, uh, is more racist than you know than yeah. suggesting well their stories say that they that people came over and gave them tech. You know it doesn't matter what color the skin is. That really no. isn't the, the the discussion. No. But they want to focus on that. So I don't know. It's just. It's, the whole thing to me is just well. Then he goes on. Okay, check this out. Okay, so, uh, so he continues with his response to the interviewers by describing Graham's methodology. And here's the quote again: 
It's similar to the way that Donald Trump operates. Huh? Wow. Yeah. It was a oh, great show. Go. You wanna, it was yeah, one of the wanna... best Netflix shows ever to come out. I've seen a lot of Netflix shows. Hey. This was one of the best <laughs> in all of ancient history. But so, all you gotta do if you want to discredit someone is just somehow connect them or associate them with Donald Trump. It's ah. similar to the way Donald Trump operates. He will get to the edge of something, but he won't say it. Because he knows his followers already know it. He can say, I didn't say that, and he didn't say that, but everyone knew what he said because it was already known. There's the answer. So, basically, all of Graham's followers already know that Graham is, Im is implying racism. But he doesn't actually have to say it, because all of us followers, we already know it. See? Now, how interesting that it's these same people that are accusing fans of Graham's work, or people who are at least even open-minded about his work, of being the conspiracy theorist. So, uh, anyhow, the interviewer, uh, she, I, I skipped a lot of it, but so the interviewer sums up her obliviousness with this final comment and question. What's interesting to me about this series getting super popular on Netflix is that I'm not sure what percentage of the people who are watching it know that the theory of Atlantis used to be, or sometimes still is, that kind of a theory. I think I can imagine the answer to this question. That kind of a theory, meaning, of course, that it's a racist theory. No mention of Plato, of course, or dialogues. I'm sure that this woman has never read Plato's dialogues at all. She certainly hasn't seen my eight-hour dissertation and discussion on Atlantis. Um, so then I just, I, I like that phraseology, that kind of a theory. The theory of Atlantis. So somebody tell me, what is the theory of Atlantis? Well, right. I don't even know. What, yeah, what is that? What Exactly what is the theory of Atlantis? <laughs> yeah, well, so, so this, she continues with this hackneyed line of questions. This is what she said. What are the stakes of this show being popular on Netflix? I mean, the stakes of this show being popular on Netflix. For what our sense of what science is, it's just more disinformation. A term that we've heard a whole lot of in the last couple of years, haven't we? And it's more distrust of expertise. You can't have the experts distrusted because they are omniscient about all things related to the human story on planet Earth. But then she asked the distinguished professor, what would you say are the stakes for archaeology? And uh, anyways, this is what he says. Uh, the biggest stake right now in the United States or what happens to academic archaeology if university administrators and students and alumni begin demanding 
the departments of anthropology and archaeology at the university support this line of thinking. So people cannot be allowed to indulge in this line of thinking. Meaning what? Meaning anybody who questions that, that, that looks into the, into the subject of our own story on, on this planet and realizes that there's a whole lot of missing pieces. Yeah. That line of thinking, that line of thinking cannot be allowed in our institutions of higher learning. Right, or maybe maybe they mean white supremacist thinking. I don't know. But yeah, it's either... It's, it's, it's weird that, that they would say something like that, like we can't allow questions. You know, I think they're trying to refer to the theory of Atlantis problem. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, again... No rational discussion of Atlantis is actually allowed. Right. All you have to do is mention that word outside the framework of academic dismissal, and you're immediately a crank and a crackpot. Yep. And a, yeah. So the one that really got me, this is, so the one that I just read from you, I think that was in Slate. This is the one that was from Guardian by, um, it's entitled, Ancient Apocalypse is the most dangerous show on Netflix. Right, I did see that one. Yeah. yeah. And here's the subheading. A show with a truly preposterous theory is one of the streaming giant's biggest hits, and it seems to exist solely for conspiracy theorists. And here he asks the question. Why has this been allowed? Huh. Why has this been allowed? So this is this is what's passing well, for journalism here. I mean, they don't want us to know the truth. Okay. Obviously. It exists solely for conspiracy theorists. So there's that. Um, so I, my sure. response was, think about what you just heard. Why has this been allowed? Is this what journalism has degenerated into? Apparently, yeah. to this guy, the author of this article, Poor corporations uh, the now. problem here is that no self-appointed, officially endowed authority intervened to disallow the airing of this show. Now, would I be exaggerating if I called these people totalitarians in their thinking? Remember what, what Mao, Stalin, and all the rest of these dictators, one of the first things they do, they seize control of the narrative. And no one is allowed to step outside the, the, the bounds that have been permitted, the bounds of permissible lines of thinking. This is what he goes on to say, this is ignominious clear campaign. This presents something of a mystery because the show closely resembles the sort of half-baked filler documentary that one of the lesser Discovery channels would slap up at 3 a.m. between shows about plane crashes and fascist architecture. Age of Ancient Apocalypse obviously has an audience, but who on earth is it? Um, fortunately, he goes on to say, you don't have to watch for long to find out. In quick succession, during the free show 
sizzle reel. We are treated to a clip of the show's host, Graham Hancock, being interviewed by the resident, Joe Rogan. <laughs> that, that's it. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Mm-hmm. That's it. Now we know right who the audience is. All you need to do is watch that pre-show sizzle reel, and when you see Joe Rogan, quick, turn it off. <clears throat> what more proof do you need that ancient apocalypse is preposterous, <laughs> to use the, the word in the title? <laughs> so this journalistic imposter then goes on to say this, in quote, finally, we have an answer. Ancient Apocalypse must be a TV program made exclusively for people who like to shout at you on Twitter. All right, all of you folks out there that are listening to us right now to watch this show, in case you were having any uh, questions about your own self-identity, well, it's been answered for you. You are nothing more than a person that likes to shout at people on Twitter. You should definitely go shout at them. They're shouting at us in the comments right now. <laughs> are they? Hi, <laughs> mommy. So, um, and then here we go. So, a wave of his arm. That's all it takes. A wave of his arm. This pathetic excuse of a journalist dismisses a lifetime of work and research by someone whose credibility, I would say, stands immeasurably, immeasurably above his own. So he continues with his tedious analysis. Quote, these people, referring to everybody who, you know, tuned in and watched Netflix, these people are Hancock's bread and butter. The, quote, free thinkers, there we go again, Free thinkers in air quotes, who, through some bizarre quirk of nature, are often more perennially outraged than anyone else on earth. So, know this about yourself. You're also perennially more outraged than anyone else on earth. And this is why you watch the Netflix series. Um, they seem pretty mad about this. The oh, author. Yeah. The author. They seem oh, yeah. fairly upset. <laughs> yeah. And then, <laughs> I don't like that there's scare quotes on anything relating to free. I know. Freedom, I know. free thinking, free acting. Right. You know, free talking and, you know, what the heck is he coming from to scare people like you're not supposed to be free? Good question. I, I don't like it. I, I want to yell on Twitter, and I haven't been on Twitter in two years. Uh, <laughs> yeah, crank it up and go shout at me. <laughs> let's all, let's all get together and shout. That's right. I tell you, I forget this guy. Uh, we'll all, uh, what should we do? We'll get him on Zoom or something? We'll get him watch Netflix. We'll all, no, we get him on Twitter. Right? Yeah, yeah. Go to, go to their Twitter account and just shout it. All caps and everything you say. Oh my God. So here's, here's his summary. Okay. Hancock, I, and this, I mean, how anybody could believe this is impossible to understand. Hancock believes that an advanced ice age civilization 
and I'm going to pause there for one reason, is because first of all, they use the term advance all the time, but never uh, defined or clarified by the Christians what you actually mean by advance. Now use it, now, you know, my point is that, that the word advance, what you mean by that is simple to the entire question of existence or not, any pre-holocene organized culture that could be considered Am I right? So, what do we mean by advance? You know, what, like we always joke with, uh, uh, how, uh, with Mike, normal guy, Mike, normal guy. You know, are they having, you know, laser guns and crystal spaceships, or are they just, uh, you know, capable of navigating the world and have a sophisticated understanding of engineering and uh, astronomy? I mean, we have to define. I mean, the first thing you do in any kind of scientific discussion is you define your terms. They never define what they mean by advance. Okay, so let's go back. Hancock believes in an advanced ice age civilization responsible for teaching humanity concepts such as math, plural, architecture and agriculture, <laughs> was wiped out in a giant flood brought about by multiple comet strikes about 12,000 years ago. There are signs everywhere you look, he said. To prove this, he spends an entire television series looking everywhere. So apparently, I'm guessing this, uh, this particular journalist either doesn't believe in or has absolutely no knowledge about any of the, the main issues in question. And then I may also believe that everything on TV or that is streamed is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. So I would say he's plainly blind to the fact that the evidence is is everywhere. I mean, as we've been trying to demonstrate on this podcast, I mean, I'd say we've made a pretty good start, but there's a whole lot more places we haven't talked about and documented on this podcast than the places we have talked about and looked at. Um, he's also definitely British, right? That's why he said math. Okay. That's how uh, they, yeah, I think that's how they say it. Uh, it's, not just okay. one, it's not just one math, Randall. It's all of them. Math. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it's already in UK, right? So there yeah, you go. for sure. Yeah. So, I would comment that this guy is oblivious to the fact that the evidence for multiple comet strikes in place between Holocene boundary, the severe global environmental consequences, is, is overwhelmingly supported by an enormous body of research and multidisciplinary evidence amassed by dozens of highly credentialed, accomplished scientists. Now, it seems to me that the idea of, uh, of a comet strike, of giant floods, I mean, isn't that right at the core of this whole discussion? I mean, that's the idea is that there were catastrophic events that may have obscured the archaeological record in ways we haven't realized yet. But what they do is they act like this is not even an issue. I mean, they in, if you go through all of the various attacks on the series, on Graham, all they do is they mention, oh, like there was supposedly a giant flood, there was supposedly, you know, comet impact. Um, but I would like to 
read a, a quote here from some of the leading paleohydrologists, and we've had this quote in our show before. Um, as I say, uh, that he's oblivious to the fact that gigantic floods have indeed swept over the surface of the Earth, large swaths of the Earth's surface during precisely the same geological epoch. And to try to put, put some context in this, those who are fed regular listeners to this podcast are going to know exactly what we're talking about. People who've been on the tours with us and, and who, you know, engaged in this know exactly that, re, that, that the reality, the geological reality is that, yes, there have been what you could describe as biblical-scale floods engulfing large regions of the Earth's surface. So, I like this quote from Victor, and I know Brad likes this too, Victor Baker, Goru Kamutsu, and Sharon Flute, who wrote in 1995 in, in a seminal paper, and I quote, Recently identified, twice-sustained flood features indicate that planetary-scale movement of water has been a major agent in shaping the landscape of our planet. So let that sink in. Planetary, planetary scale, movement of water. What does that mean? And what does that mean for whatever humans were doing on the Earth when that happened? And that it happened in the same geological period as overwhelming evidence for the occurrence of multiple comets. So, even though that is a cornerstone of this, of the whole question, we're going to just ignore it. We're just going to pretend it's, you know, oh, well, they, it's supposedly all this happened, but we don't need to actually address it. We don't need to consider it in our thinking or in our dismissal of these questions of the standard conventional narrative. So then, well, can I break in here? Absolutely. Is there, is, so you see some of this a similar kind, but, you know, in a slightly different vein of resistance to the Comet Research Group stuff. Yes. And I feel like it's all tied together. Like, there's, kind right. of a, there's, there's a more and more of a desperation. Exactly. Uh, because if that one thing about the, this, the, the change from the Pleistocene to the Holocene becomes part of accepted standard science, then there's a whole lot of stuff that falls apart and has to completely be rethought. You've got that right. Right, and so yep. all of it yep. is part of, it's all in the same piece. Like they, I think that they see this, and this is why there's so many attacks and it keeps getting more and more, um, you know, just slandered, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Slandered, <laughs> yep. So then, go ahead, Brad. Well, I just mentioned to you the other day an article that I had read where they were assessing, well, we don't even need to address this. All all these theories have already been discredited. Right? Yeah. But they've been oh, discredited yeah. before there was evidence for the Younger Dryas impact. Right. And before there was actual factual uh, science behind there being a huge catastrophe. Yeah. So, yeah. Like you're like you're saying, yeah, they they're gonna have to go back and redo their work and everybody else's work because they didn't take into account figuring hey out why these people are fighting so hard against Carson. it. Hi, yo. Yes. Okay. Good point. We got uh, lots of donations as well. Yeah. Comments right. and questions from the people but, out there. Well, let's get to those in a second. Okay. Brad brought up a good point, though. And, and, and I think in, in one of them, this is a, 
don't mention names because it's only going to give them traffic, even though um, maybe it would be the kind of traffic they wouldn't like. But this is from this brief. It's on the Randall Carson says, um, YouTube channel. What are the zero twenty ancient apocalypse attacks and defense Q and A with Randall like Carson Egypt tour so cosmography or even the Society for American Archaeology even engaging in this one sided debate because they're worried. Um, polls conducted by Chapman University in the U.S. show an increase in paranormal beliefs, ranging from visiting aliens to haunted houses. Now, this in a review of the Netflix series. Now, to my knowledge, I don't think Graham talked about paranormal beliefs or haunted houses, did he? I don't think so. Um, but then, the polls also show an increase in belief that ancient civilizations such as Atlantis existed. Oh my God! Oh God, we're doomed! People who might actually think, and hopefully, people who watch my eight-hour presentation may not necessarily, because I didn't certainly didn't prove that Atlantis existed. I simply made the case that if we look specifically and literally at Plato and what he described, it could have existed. But there was nothing outrageous about it. And the geology, the geography, the astronomy, etc., supported a scenario in which an island culture could have existed during the, during the Ice Age. And critically, the timing. And critically, the timing. So those poles also civilizations such as Atlantis existed. These beliefs, experts say, experts. Ooh, experts. I don't know who these experts are. They don't give any names, but they're obviously out there. Those experts, they say that it can feed into a wider, growing skepticism, if not outright rejection of established scientific wisdom. This is why our British archaeologist is worried and speaking out against ancient apocalypse. Here's a quote from him. Once you start thinking, and I think this summarizes the, the, the whole situation that Brad was just pointing to and implying. Here's the quote. Once you start thinking that archaeologists are wrong, then you might think that doctors are wrong. Then you might think that politicians are lying. And so you can't trust anything. End of quote. Yeah. Of course, I mean, we, we all I mean that politicians shouldn't we would start never with that assumption? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Here's, here's the title of another attack. With Netflix's ancient apocalypse, Graham Hancock has declared war on archaeologists. <laughs> yes, he declared war. Well, good thing they're already down in trenches, right? Yeah. <laughs> they're ready. Yeah, apparently so. They're down in the trenches. Yeah. 
but you know the thing is okay so it, in the background of this guy it, it mentioned for example some of the sites he'd worked on okay now archaeologists will usually have a particular site or a particular period of history that they focus on and they may become very knowledgeable about specifics of that like for example right here in georgia you know and, and in the southeast it's a, a prominent focus of archaeology is civil war archaeology right you'll have archaeologists they'll go in and they'll be excavating um you know battle civil war battle sites and so on and they can put together an amazingly detailed picture of events that went went on uh that occurred right they can look at the type of artifacts they can look at what the food they were eating they can look at you know the the the, the, the type of weapons that they were using they can radiocarbon date all. i mean there's all kinds of stuff they can do but how does that necessarily qualify that archaeologist to have an opinion on middle paleolithic archaeology and what might have been going on during the ice age let's say 15 or twenty thousand years ago well it doesn't you basically just have to take what the academic uh, mainstream view is, and you incorporate that into your thinking, and you accept it as being gospel. Right. It doesn't make them an authority. No. Right? But they, yeah, they, they can have opinions just like anybody. But they can have opinions. Yeah. Of course. They're not no. expert in that particular topic, but they have right. a very narrow focus, just like a lot of academics. Now, what I see over and over and over again in these attacks is a reference to unnamed experts or experts who are quoted like the couple of uh, so-called experts that I just that I just read right okay well I don't think that guy that I just read really has any knowledge he can claim he does but what what has he actually done and if you go back let's say to a, a Clovis let, let's think of the the example of Al Goodyear I think that's a perfect example here of, of the problem Bradley and I, you were there, right, Brad? Yeah, you were there. Copper. At, at Copper site. We visited the Copper site with uh, with Graham, with uh, George Howard, uh, with there, a few other people. Chris Moore, I think. Was he there at that one? Yeah, Chris Moore was there. So Al Goodyear is the geologist that had been excavating this Copper site, I think, for a couple of decades, anyway. So right there, standing on the site with him, he describes to us how... You know, he was kind of indoctrinated into the Clovis first idea. And he had excavated down and found the Clovis cultural layer. And, you know, their spear points and their debitage and all the stuff there at that particular layer. And that layer was the Younger Dryas, uh, the lower Younger Dryas boundary. Now, of course, Al Goodyear is now a member of the Common Research Team because his own research has led him to believe that there was a possibility of a catastrophic event around that cultural horizon. But as he stood there and he told his story, you know, he said that when people would ask him, well, what's below the Clovis layer? And he basically said, well, presumably nothing, because we all know Clovis first, right? Well, he had enough people asking him repeatedly, he said, finally, and this is what open-minded scientists should do, he said, well, I decided to dig it down, dig down a little deeper. And what happened when he dug down, and I think it was about six feet down below the, the Clovis layer, what happened? He found another cultural layer. Now, right there, 
you could you could say, oh well, I'm an expert on diplomacy. So there's nothing before diplomacy. Well, did you ever look? Well, no. So you've got this assumption that it's all known. It isn't. One of the things that this, this uh, archaeologist that I was just quoting here, uh, you know, he, he talks about sea levels, underwater evidence. So his research specializes in uh, the uh, Bronze Age. Um, so he says that uh, in addressing several of Hancock's claims, first, the key evidence might have disappeared underwater. That was one of the things that Graham said, which is eminently plausible, right? Well, this is what this guy says, this, this archaeologist. Uh, he says that could easily be debunked because there's a lot of underwater archaeology. We have good understanding of what's going on underwater. Oh, we do? In my Atlanta series, one of the things I did was I brought forward the, 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 the marine geologists, oceanographers, who are actually studying the bottom of the ocean. And if you recall, one of the very interesting quotes that I presented was by someone, by a, a, a marine geologist studying the Mid-Atlantic Ridge. And he said this, and, and I recently... Atlantic Ridge has been mapped. 0.01%. Yet this guy says uh, that Graham could be easily debunked because, quote, there's a lot of underwater archaeology. We have a good understanding. Is underwater archaeology, and we've yield up to it. Now that we've got the technology and ever-improving technologies in place, to begin to see that world under there. Um, so again, it's just, it's just this shallow, superficial reaction to, to this. They don't, you know, it, it's really like everything they say, they're discrediting themselves. I mean, have you read, look at how much I've read so far. I could have, have read five times this much. And there would still be no more substance to any of their, what they're saying than anything you've just heard. Um, yeah, and I've then multiple times that we've got better mapping of the moon and Mars than we yeah. do at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Well, we have a we have a bunch of uh, I don't want to interrupt, but we do have a bunch of donations and questions. So we only have half an hour left. Hey, I've been having so much fun. Though. Yeah, I can tell you're you're loving this. We can. I mean, we can. We gotta get angry at some other people too, though. Let's get to some questions. I think I think maybe I've made my point here. It's um, the most dangerous show on Netflix for the standard model of archaeology. It is, and some of the reasons why they're being so aggressive in their attacks against it. And I will just conclude by reiterating what I just said. I think it's going to backfire on because I think people who are actually thinking objectively, who are legitimate free thinkers um, and are not, you know, emotionally uh, wedded to the, 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 the dominant narrative, are going to see very easily that these attacks have no substance to it. 
if you want, in fact, like I said, if you want a lesson in every critical fallacy there is in the book, read these attacks on the Netflix series. <laughs> All right, so questions, questions. We got some good questions, you think? We do. Um, okay, the first one is from Andrew, 20 bucks. And he's Thank asking, you, Andrew. asking about decoding the Avebury hinge complex. Uh, it is on the 3-7 latitude line on directly south mm -hmm. of Spain uh, is a hinge on the 4-7 line. The distance from the Avery hinge to the Silbury hinge is one twenty-eight thousandth of the circumference of the Earth. Interesting. Well, Andrew, you know, I, I think that question would be on what we could dive into tonight. It's a very interesting question, and it opens up the subject that I've referred to as sacred geography. An immensely interesting subject which deals with the issue and the question of how people chose the site for ancient, for the ancient sacred places, how they chose the position for the ancient sacred sites. We know, one, that they utilized geometry over and over again. All the examples from all over the world, geometry is important. Second, we know that they also consciously oriented the sacred sites, whether it's a hinge, a circle, a pyramid, uh, a temple, whatever the case may be, always over and over again we find an orientation and a link between the earth and the sky. So there's that consistency. Then we get to what you're raising, Andrew, which is the question of sacred geography. And this is how they chose the site. And we've discussed that somewhat on our podcast, and that's the subject that we really do need to come back to and dive into. Uh, because I think that's a, a, a critical component of how the thinking of these ancient uh, architects and engineers, uh, you know, their methodology, that these things were worked out astronomically, geologically, geographically. Um, beyond that, Andrew, I couldn't really say too much, but um, yeah, it sounds interesting um, for sure. And I think that the Avery hinge and moat and uh, and embankment and so on is part of a much larger complex. And interestingly, I will say that one of the things that Graham points out is this extraordinary consistency across history and, and across geography that is completely ignored and dismissed by mainstream archaeology. And I, I just don't think you can do that. I don't think that's uh, fundamentally legit to do that. Because you Did, could say if there's an alignment or an it's coincidental. But it's over and over and over again. Every continent. With the possible exception of Antarctica. And who knows what's buried under the ice there. But every continent displays mainstream archaeology has no answer for. All right, let's go on to the next one. Okay. Alex. Alex Brown, $108. Thank wow. you. I love the number, Alex. Yes. In fact, just when my five days in Florida that I was down there, and we do need to get to that a little bit before we... Can we here. do it at the very end? I'll try to go through as many of these we can. Yeah. yeah. I just was going to say, for those five days that I just returned from Florida, meeting with the chief scientist of the Strike Foundation, 
I was in room 108. 108, all right. Okay, so Alex says, can you tell us a little about the universal story of the sacrifice of the divine king, like some of the symbolism behind all of the universal stories and what they ultimately represent? Thanks, and happy holidays. Alex, you've hit upon a really juicy subject matter there. And, and I have talked about that, but let me, let me say this. I've, I've, I've gone into it a number of times without really peeling back and unpacking the full depth of the thing. I am, looks like I'm going to be putting together a presentation in uh, late April during the spring, uh, during the Easter season, that's going to deal directly with that idea of the sacrifice of the divine king. And that's going to be uh, part of a presentation about the mysteries and legends of the Holy Grail, which has a connection with wow. a direct connection with the crucifixion, which is the Christian version of the sacrifice of the divine king. Wow. So I think I'll save any discussion of that for this upcoming uh, conference that we're going to be doing Damn. in April. And I will be putting together some really juicy information hmm. about the Grail. Um, wow, I want to see that. And its connection with a lot of other traditions from around the world. So just huh. I'll beg your patience on that, Alex. Sacrifice and of the divine. Thanks for the 108, dude. All right. Travis from Wisconsin. 50 bucks. Uh, he wants to know your thoughts on the London Hammer also known as the London artifact that was found in London, Texas in 1936. So this is a, an out-of-place artifact. Okay, let me write that down because, Travis, you're asking me about something I'm not familiar with, London, Texas. But, hey, man, thanks to your question, I'm going to look this up. Yeah, it's and a... What do we see? Artifact? Interesting artifact found in... It's seemingly found in a geological context that makes it very ancient but it's got an iron head oh, shit. as women our bodies change God as we age and travis you're asking me about something i'm not familiar with london texas but hey man thanks to your question i'm going to look this up yeah it's and a what do we see? It's artifact interesting artifact found in it's seemingly found in a geological context that makes it very ancient but it's got an iron head on it and partially fossilized wood handle right so interesting artifact if it's legit Have you, are I would you love to... guys familiar with that Have i mean yeah we've, it at all? we've we've talked about it but we're not experts in any of this stuff i'd love to go see it if possible uh but yeah it is where uh, is it it's a fairly well-known out-of-place artifact has it been excavated is it in a museum or is it still in situ is it no still it's in not the ground? no it's still in the ground no Still in the ground. And not one can see no, it. No, it is not still in the ground. Right. Oh. Not Where is it? I do think they have it. I can't remember. No idea. It's been so long since we looked at this. Yeah. Nice to be on the spot. Yeah, but I, we did look at it. It's an interesting idea. Okay, what, so I've got London, Texas. Yeah. Artifact is it has to go by a specific name. The, the London, London Hammer. Hammer. Oh, the London Hammer. That's yeah, it. yeah. Okay, the London Hammer. Yeah. Any idea how much the hammer weighed? I don't remember. It's kind of like, uh, you know, I'm just guessing, but it's more like a two or three pound sledge. It kind of looks like a sledgehammer. Yeah. A little so bit. probably would have been wielded by like a sledge with two like arms. Just one hand. Well, like one a, hand. No, like, a yeah. two, like a two or three pound sledge is just a one hand. Oh, okay. Sledge. 
That's what it looks like, but of course I haven't seen it in person. I don't know how big it is, but it looks like that. Yeah. So, but they're okay. But so they're not wouldn't have been using it for like say trim carpentry then. <laughs> no, they, it they looks, weren't. They weren't driving six penny nails. No, it looks more like something you might use with a chisel. Uh, Sorry, I just ah, okay. Funny comment. About it. <laughs> okay, we're we're very distracted by the chat. You guys are hilarious. Okay. okay. So go, let's have a few more. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is a very short. Uh, Gunnison asks, uh, gets five dollars. It says, "Satan equal Satan?" Question mark. Uh, I would say that's an interesting correlation because Satan and Satan both in their stories both had did what? They both fell from heaven, didn't they? Right. Yeah, right. Why wouldn't it be the same? So yeah, uh, we can certainly explore that. And where have I? Didn't we get into a little discussion of that? I mean, we I know did. we discussed fate. Yeah. Did we discuss fate? Yeah, mm -hmm. along with the serpent and the dragon. Yeah. There we go. I knew yeah. we had. Yeah, about <clears throat> 10 episodes ago. About 10 episodes. So there is. Is this Travis? No, this was. Who is this? This was. This was uh, Gunnison. Gunnison. Okay. Gunnison. So, like oh, Gunnison. Yeah, Gunnison. Like, like the Black Canyon. Black Canyon. All right. So is the, the canyon was named after Gunnison? <laughs> Very possible. Hey, I better come up with a good answer then. Uh, yeah, uh, there is an episode where we talked about that. And uh, that may be something I get into in the grail. We'll see. Um, because, you know, there are uh, lots of days stories ago, this of falling gods. Gods falling from heaven. I've talked about Zantama, uh, the falling god in Mayan traditions. There are other traditions as well. So um, kind of a universal thing, this idea of God falling from heaven. And that was Satan. He was... Uh, and, and and somewhere, and I don't remember if we did this in the episode or not, but I did an etymological analysis of the very word and the name of Satan, and it gives us it yields up some pretty interesting insights um, as to what is actually behind the concept of Satan. And you know, now, was that the same episode you were talking about the uh, the Garden of Eden and the deception by the serpent there? It may I, have been. I, I think that was the same episode there. So maybe it was. Yeah, I'll, obviously, it's not going to help with this live crew, but I'll put it in the uh, in the notes or the links for the okay. Okay. People will see this later. Yeah. That'll All be right. Easy to track down. Somebody in the well, chat. Thanks. Somebody in the chat said the London Hammer is in a was it? like a four hundred million year old rock layer, a geological yes. layer. But the, somebody said where it was. Okay, if the rock is the creation, the creation evidence old. museum. That's where it is. Ancient it's evidence museum. Creation. Okay, oh, creation. Yes. Okay, because then they're what they're arguing then is that it's not really four hundred million year old rock. Right. That's right. That these rocks are actually only five or six thousand years. That's old. that's right. Yeah. Well, I'm going to look into it. Okay. You know. Um, I, I got to say though, if you know, if you're telling me that there's a hammer that's buried in a 400 million year old rock, my first response would be skepticism. Sure, that's the, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's okay. see more, more. I want more. <laughs> Rich, Rich Gerber gives uh, or Gerber gives five dollars. Thank you, Rich. No comment. Uh, Bruce Silva, twenty bucks. Says beer money. Yeah, buddy. I'll see you guys Bruce in Nashville. Silva. Bruce. The name sounds. Familiar. Yeah, have you heard of that guy? Batman, Bruce Wayne, maybe. Have you heard of that? Maybe. Does that name sound 
was last week. Uh, he went around in the Mojave Desert, so he was at the Amboy Crater. Him and Kevin went touring around the Mojave. So you remember that? Well, the first time we went out to the Southwest, we went to the Amboy. Yeah. Like a, like a cinder cone out there before we went to the find the current ripples down there in the the dry dry lake at Cadiz. So so, yeah, so Bruce was out there with Kevin Alves. Yeah. Our friend, yeah. our yeah. our good buddy Kevin. Yep. Yeah, was cool. Last week touring around there. So. Interesting. Okay. Peter Shell. Peter. Peter Shell. Hello, Peter. Two hundred and seventy-three dollars. No comment. Oh, Thanks, Peter. Man. No comment. Hey, yeah. man. Thanks. Wow. Thank Can't you, tell you really how much appreciate we appreciate it. it. Yeah. That'll buy Brad a couple of days worth of beer. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Brad. I'm coming to your house. For oh, a yeah. Of yeah. Days. Can we come over, Brad? <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, me and Peter had a good talk this past weekend. Yeah, he's got some good ideas going. Peter is one of our good friends who we really like having on trips. And he has really supported the show. So we yeah. really appreciate it. Thanks, Peter, man. Yeah. Look forward to hanging out with you again. Um, you know what I like about Peter is he doesn't really take a chance when I give him a hard time. So. <laughs> he takes offense to my driving, though. But that's okay. I don't. <laughs> yeah, well, that's. <laughs> I don't blame him for that. Okay, uh, Andrew, Andrew McCall, 10 bucks, says, Randall, I have been following and putting all of the pieces together. Confident I have an idea as to some of the stuff you've alluded to, and I think you've already gotten the signal, quote-unquote, to start teaching us. Me too, exclamation point, smiley face, let's be friends. <clears throat> Doesn't look like a question to me. Is there a question in there? Quote unquote the signal. Yes. You have gotten the signal. Well, thank you, Andrew. I appreciate that. Well, thank you, Andrew. Yes. Thank you. Um, I, the book is open. I think it's kind of what he's talking about, maybe. Uh huh. Okay. All right. Well, well I while think you're thinking on that, I'll take the opportunity to say we, we have put a little video, uh, a little teaser about the moon disclosure uh, for the Patreon contributors. So it, uh, Randall does have a Patreon account. He can contribute monthly. Uh, we are getting better about offering things and uh, putting things in there exclusively, uh, bonus content, early content, different things like that. So there was a uh, little video that just got posted in there in the past couple of days about the moon. So uh, curious about that. May want to Check in and uh, help Randall out through Patreon. Well, thanks, Brad, for saying that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, you know, our situation has been that we've all been on the road a whole lot the last couple of months, and it's really difficult to get together and do these podcasts when we're all scattered over the face of the earth. So, but I think we're going to be around for a while. I, I don't think I'm going anywhere um, other than. I'm going to make, looks like I'm going to make a reappearance on Joe Rogan on the 23rd of January. Um, he wants to talk more about the uh, alternative energy technology disclosure. And we didn't get to any of that tonight, uh, but I think we could devote a podcast. That may be our next live podcast. We could, that could easily fill up an hour and a half to two hours of discussion. Um, because it's happening. And anybody who wants to know more, uh, there is now a website up. Uh, it's only been up a 
probably a week and a half, maybe two weeks, maybe two weeks by now. But uh, strikefoundation.earth. Uh, and dive into that. I mean, there's a lot of information there, a lot of information, and new stuff is going to be it's going to be updated a lot in the next month or two. Um, but it was put up in a hurry uh, because apparently on my last Joe Rogan appearance, I sort of um, let the cat out of the bag a little bit prematurely, um, as I have come to find out, um, and I hadn't. Wasn't going to go into it. It just sort of came up inadvertently, and then Joe wouldn't let me uh, just let it fly. And uh, anyhow, I did not even know at the time that uh, Mazda was under a uh, Mazda Auto in Japan was under a uh, non-disclosure agreement. And uh, I disclosed, and it, a panic ensued. And one of the uh, one of the associates of the Strike Foundation made an emergency flight to Japan to try to do damage control. Um, don't worry, Randall. You only told the conspiracy theorists that don't believe the experts. <laughs> okay. so none of those people matter. Well, that's a relief. They just shout at people on Twitter. Okay. <laughs> but as it turns out, though, uh, at once the, all the, the ruffled feathers were soothed, it turned out to be a good thing because Mazda's stock value went and had an uptick the day or two after the Rogan podcast and a lot of favorable internet comments. Yes, that's true. <laughs> and then, uh, now I don't know if I should even say this. Yeah, 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 better, yeah you better not. I better not go to the next. Yeah, now you're worrying me. I mean, Stop it, switch. Live. Stop. You're good enough. <laughs> Okay, I, I will not, uh, yeah, there were certain other consequences as well. Um, you gave the website uh, So that was part of the, the five days in, in Florida, meeting with Malcolm, getting some more training on how to yeah. speak about it and understanding more clearly the, the, the fusion aspects on the plasmoid unification model and the, the different things that are involved in this new technology. So Randall will be able to speak about it on that next Joe Rogan experience coming up in January. So, well, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's a challenge for me to try to, like, in about six weeks, come to understand, like, 50 years of detailed research. Um, but I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. And if, uh, if you see this right away in the next, whatever, 18 hours, you'll be able to catch Randall. Well, I don't, I don't know how they work. And maybe you guys know, Russ and Cal, the, the Grimerica Outlawed episodes. Randall's going to speak to them tomorrow night. So I don't know how, when they post those, but mm. we're going to record something talking about the, the plan. <laughs> they usually go up within the next couple of days, I think. But you just have to be subscribed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, the idea now is to, you know, I mean, there's two awesome implications to this. One, just on its own merit, it can complete, completely change the industrial landscape of this planet in the next decade. Two is that it also is part of a major recovery of, you know, the whole question of ancient technology. And once you begin to understand this technology, you realize that, yes, an entire civilization could be powered using this kind of technology, and 15 or 20,000 years later, 
you're not going to find anything that would have uh, been an obvious infrastructure. And that's part of the problem these archaeologists have when they constantly repeat the thing. Well, where's the pottery? Where are the artifacts? Where's the evidence? It's for a 481-foot pyramid in the desert. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. But, but all the, yeah, the, the power lines and the, yeah. Yeah, because those, if they, those weren't there, those weren't necessary. If they, were, if they were machining giant chunks of granite into uh, precise objects, then they, they needed pottery nearby yeah they need yeah. to be making pottery well see this is where <laughs> where are the shirts where are the pot shirts <laughs> if russ you wanted to one evening or one of our episodes kind of take take the helm and do your presentation i would love to hear that presentation again that you did you've done several times now that i've absolutely heard <clears throat> would you be willing to do that sure and i would really like to hear it in the context of what I now know and am learning about, uh, which with the first time I heard it, that was outside the periphery of my understanding. Now I'm getting an actual kind of a working comprehension of how this technology would have functioned. Yeah. Mm. And I would like to hear your take again with within that context. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. It'd be great. Um, so that so that right. uh, website again is strikefoundation.earth. Dot earth, yes. Okay, we and, have. Uh, I've, I've okay. gone through parts of it. There, there's some things that are uh, well populated. There's some things that are missing. But like Randall said, they they put it up in a rush. Um, Malcolm's got 40 years of notes, uh, and they're compiling it. They've got a team of of people, and uh, there's a first group of information there there's plenty to dig to dig into uh but there's more coming soon strikefoundation.earth yeah and last uh oh when was this four or five what day is this monday yeah so last week i sat down with the the lead scientist of strike foundation uh the ceo of strike foundation mike robertson the ceo of HowTube. myself we recorded a video interview with uh the head of the India Foundation, which is a think tank that uh, works as a liaison between the French government and the Indian government. And this, I, we were able to put this on the website. Uh, I will be given getting a, a copy of the recording. Mike recorded it at our end. Uh, the interviewer, uh, Tom Carpentier, on the other end that interviewed us, it has since gone up to the highest echelons of the Indian government. And they are very interested in this technology because one of the applications of it is these retrofits on internal combustion engines. And there is a video online on the site that you can find, download, watch it with Roland Perry, the, the, the Australian uh, author who's written like 30 some books, including the biography of Mel Gibson case you were wondering. Mel Gibson, by the way, is not involved in this, and he's not an alien, okay? Um, but, uh, yeah, and it talks about, it, it's talking about the, the how the technology can be used to retrofit internal combustion engines to capture all the carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide pollutants coming out of there, even the heat energy, and recycle it. And basically emit almost pure oxygen. It's a very interesting. You can you can 
you'll the videos on there if anybody wants to go in and find it uh, like i said the, the website is being updated um as we speak and there will be a lot more stuff um so we'll see where this goes but it could be uh a lot of uh a lot of interesting thing happening happening in the next few years the last thing i will mention is that um malcolm told me that uh that uh you know there was going to be a disclosure you guys have probably seen some of the uh press releases about cold fusion research at lawrence livermore um the hot fusion cold fusion okay i haven't seen that well there's yeah, I mean the U.S. Department of Energy <clears throat> has come out. Well, fusion last, last weekend. Hot fusion. Yeah, that's that's yeah. fusion. Yeah, December twelfth. Yeah, line. just right. just fusion. Yeah, right. not okay, fusion. just fusion. But yeah, because yeah, people. Well, right, because the term cold fusion has supposedly been discredited. Yeah, supposedly. So, yeah, supposedly, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, anyways. Uh, that was, now I don't know how true this is, and I personally don't believe it. It's just too much to take on, but um, maybe they accelerated their timeline of disclosure because of what I blabbed on Joe Rogan. Mm, yeah. After that, he said to me, he said, you know, there are people at Lawrence Livermore, and I know he knows some of those people. He said they might now move their disclosure forward and then like a week later i'm sitting there at breakfast with him and uh with mike robertson and uh the ceo of strike foundation and he gets a text on his phone and uh it was i think it was the 11th and uh showing that that morning the london financial times had released a report the first report and then of course the next day or two the world press picked it up and yep. then he looked at, at me and he said, see, I told you so. And I said, I refuse to believe that. Because now I'm paranoid. See what's happened? I'm paranoid now about what anything I say. The Randall Ripple effect. <laughs> yeah. So don't believe a word of it. I don't. It's merely coincidence. Tell me. Yeah, that yeah. was the 11th. And then the mm -hmm. 12th, the, the more global news came out. But yeah, it's kind of interesting how that's going to develop and apparently there's not somebody that has like designed and followed through with the plans to make it for the u.s so that's kind of like an open market there but basically mm -hmm. you'd use your gas to crank your engine and to get it heated up and yeah. to get get the system to start running but then once it's running it's a it's a captured internal water system and it just operates on its own and will keep going uh, once it's up to temperature, so you're going to use 80% potentially less gas. Who, who knows what the numbers actually end up in being? But uh, and apparently it's pretty pretty simple system. The diagrams are right on the website. Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> as a matter of fact, our good friends um, Ben Johnson and his Navy SEAL buddies are. I've brought them into contact with uh, with Malcolm, and he's providing them with all with coaching and schematics. And these guys are going to attempt. Uh, and some of these guys are pretty high level educated in terms of the physics and the engineering capabilities. And uh, we had, uh, Brad was in on the conference uh, a few days ago, the Zoom meeting that we had. And uh, these guys are gonna uh, attempt to replicate some of the technology and build build working prototypes. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah. all I wanna so know that, is can we get 
a prototype to install on one of our cars and try it out. This is well, somebody's going to have to be the guinea pigs <laughs> yeah. for the first Come on. rollout. Yeah, we, we'll do we it. Have Marty, we're going to have to get Marty in on this. Yes, Marty. Yes, <clears throat> absolutely. Marty can be in on it. <clears throat> okay, you guys yeah. know Marty. I don't know Marty. I only no know way, him. bro. <laughs> don't let Marty in on this. <laughs> don't let Marty. Okay. If you guys know and trust Marty, he's okay by me. We do. He's a great guy. Okay, good deal. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, any more All questions, right. or we, we, we have too many? Let's too go. many. I don't, mean, it's, don't don't forget to. We're done. Uh, you know, you got to run through some of the SGI garbage. Yeah, I'm going to do this for. Yeah. Okay, so. Uh, are we pretty much at the end of the? The show. Yeah, I think we're at the end. I'll have. I'm going to name off all these people who donated. Uh, won't be able to get to their questions. Thank you guys so much. But go ahead. Randall. Yeah, really, guys. Thanks for your donation. Sometimes you don't know we just how yeah. much we appreciate this and how much it helps because I'm going to be using this studio to turn out content that's going to be awesome. That all you guys that are helping us are going to have access to first access to it. Um, I'm just I'm super excited about this studio. Look at here, the gantries on the ceiling. We've got lighting, microphones. Check out, maybe you've seen already my awesome conference table that we built back there. Uh, an octagon table using sacred geometry. What about, the, uh, what about the awesome computer? Now, oh, so now, <laughs> hey, how could I forget? I mean, come on. Well, let's see. I think he just unplugged the camera. Oh, we lost him. <laughs> Damn it! He got his hooked up before me. Uh, I'm so I'm so close. Did you lose me? Your cat? Well, we can still hear you. Your video's out, but your camera is gone. Good thing the show's over. Well, let's see. Well, is there a on-off switch on this thing? What happened? I don't know. Did you pull it out of the you USB the plug? Yeah, USB no. out of there. I'll pull it out and then I'll plug it back in. Oh, oh, well. to show everybody. Russ, I was going to show everybody the awesome computer you built it's for. Uh, it's obviously wasn't meant to happen. The camera was like, no, show. you are not Can't allowed to look show. at itself. <laughs> oh, man. I wanted to show off your computer. <laughs> well, let me let me thank, uh, let's see, NOS4A2 for $20. Plasmoid Aliens oh. for 0.79 pounds. Uh, Any Davis for... Ten dollars. Darren Wheats for one hundred and eight. Paul Stella for five bucks. Uh, Sergeant Gray twenty. Rex for twenty dollars. David Lane ten dollars. Jason Moskovitz ten dollars. Richard Everett ten bucks. Brandon uh, Brandon Burr Music ten dollars. Uh, Greedo Vizio twenty bucks. Kimberly Black ten dollars. Peter Shell another hundred and eight. Thank you, Peter, so much. Yeah. Peter, man, you were you're awesome, man. Thank and, you, uh, everybody. That's incredible. Nas again, twenty dollars. Someone unseen, fifty. What is that? Fifty Australian. Thank you. Ohms, ten bucks. Mike A, five dollars. Bruce Rhodes, fifty bucks. Thank you guys so much. And then Sergeant Gray, one more time for five dollars. Thank you all oh, so wow. much. I'm sorry we couldn't get to <laughs> some of your questions. You know, we never know how how much time we're going to have, but we really appreciate the donations. And, uh, Russ, you'll like this. Check out what we've done here. You see the housing we made for you? Oh, yeah, look at that. Look at that. Now, check this out. Oh, yeah. And then Very nice. Can... Hey. So, so we can get to the back of it? How about that, huh? That's really nice, yeah. 
I, yeah. I assume it's well ventilated in there. It's got to have. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Oh, yeah. Well, then the back is completely open. The sides are open. Okay.